Good morning. It is really, really great to see you. Thank you for uh, for being with us. I encourage you to be opening your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15 if you're not already there. Um, looking forward to spending a few moments uh, thinking through what uh, the Lord has shared with us. We continue to think about and study uh, the resurrection. We have now, this is week number three of just looking at uh, 1 Corinthians 15. We've talked about uh, how futile and vain, worthless life is if Jesus is not alive, if Jesus has not conquered the grave and, and reigning and ruling, then nothing matters. Uh, but because Jesus lives, because Jesus is interceding and mediating on our behalf, and because Jesus is coming back, our lives matter. The things we do and say, our worship, everything that we do matters. And so we're going to think through that one more time uh, here today, thinking about the connection between the resurrection and the second coming of Jesus. Uh, before we begin, um, I don't want to, I always say this, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but then I call their name out anyway. Uh, I just want you to know it comes from a place of love when I mention somebody's name like this. It's good to see John and Susie Dove here. Man, John has been through not just days and weeks worth of, of treatments, but months and months worth of, of things. And so to see them is great, and we're thankful for that. And so we're just glad that all of us can be together. If you're here in this place, we praise God, and we're thankful that we can study and, and sing and pray together today. Uh, looking at 1 Corinthians 15, we're thinking about a way to be working towards the same goal. We all want to have the, the same vision of what the future is going to be like. We need to be moving in the same direction. We want to be all trying to achieve the same outcome. We're trying to have unity in all ways, even when it comes to thinking about the end of all things. For us, we think about the future. I hope we're like the Greeks, where in John 12, 21, those Greeks came to the disciples of Jesus and said, we wish to see Jesus. That's what our future is about. I want to see Jesus. I want to see the Lord. I want to be in the presence of God. Our future is this. We wish to see Jesus. We want to be in the presence of the Lord forever and ever. And so therefore, what we have to do is be in agreement on how that's going to be accomplished. What is the path that leads to that destination? It's important that we think about and give attention to the resurrection, as I've already said, specifically as to the way that it relates to the second coming of Jesus. These are interrelated ideas. What's the relationship? What's, what's going to be the condition of our bodies when we are raised, when the Lord returns? What will eternity then be like? We've all heard, maybe even asked certain questions about what happens to us, what happens to our bodies at death, what happens you know, in eternity, all these different related questions. Is it okay to to be cremated? What about those who die in a fire? What if they're lost at sea? How old will I be in the resurrection? What will my body look like? Will I be young, old, medium age? What if I had physical challenges in earthly life? Will I have those things in heaven? All, so many different questions. And these are legitimate, honest inquiries. And they'll only be implicitly, not explicitly addressed in 1 Corinthians 15. We have to chalk it up. We know there's some things 
Deuteronomy 29, 29, there's some things that are just reserved for the Lord to know that we won't know on this side, may not know on the other side, depending on what question it is that you ask. We're not going to all of a sudden become omniscient. But resurrection, resurrection, the focus here is on those who are questioning the power of the resurrection. The focus is on those who are questioning the legitimacy of resurrection. And resurrection doesn't make sense to them. And besides that, who even has the power to accomplish such amazing things anyway of bringing people, uh, uniting them with, with their bodies as it were, bringing them to a state of, of eternity? Who can even do that? So, so many questions. What will it be like at his coming? Look at verse 23. 1 Corinthians 15, 23. Each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and then at his coming, when he returns on, on judgment day with the second coming of Christ, at his coming, then those who belong to Christ, those belonging to Christ will be raised, is the implication. Verse 24. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. Then comes the end. He comes, the dead are raised, and then it's the end. So what is it that's going to happen in all these things? Let's, let's just think through three ideas that we can put together from the last part of 1 Corinthians 15. Here's the first way to think through this. Death precedes glory death precedes glory in other words death must first take place before glorification can take place look at 1536 1536 the bible says you foolish person what you sow does not come to life unless it dies death precedes glory an acorn doesn't become a big, beautiful oak tree unless it's first buried. We don't get nourishing food like, I don't know, whatever's in your garden, watermelon, squash, peppers, corn. Imagine your garden right now. You don't get those wonderful things out of the ground unless you first plant a seed. And then we await for that incredible transformation. That's the point that the Lord is making here in 1 Corinthians 15, what Alan read for us. The Lord uses this as an illustration of what's going to take place with us. There's got to be spiritual transformation, and eventually there's going to be a physical transformation. So let's think through the, the spiritual transformation first. The way in which the, the dead, Ephesians 2.1, Ephesians 2.5, the dead must be made alive by the Spirit of God. So here we are, before we know Christ, before we've been washed in the blood of Christ, we think we're alive, we're walking about, going, I'm eating, breathing, talking. But the Lord says, you are dead in your sins until you've been washed in my blood. And then once you have been washed in the blood of Christ, you come up out of that watery grave to life. This is what it says in John 3.3. 3. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to Jesus, well, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and then be born? Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Peter would write it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And he continues in verse 23. You've been born again, 
not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Then 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. And then, and then finally, my, my favorite one, Colossians 2, 12 and 13, speaks of the, the transformation, the divine transformation that takes place when we are buried with Christ in baptism. He tells us that that's the time God chose to make dead people live. Brought us alive with Christ in that time. And so that's the first thing that must take place. We must go from being spiritually dead to being reborn made alive by the power of Christ. And with that rebirth, that new life, comfortably secured by the power of God, then he says, let's think about what happens in the future, the physical change that will take place. Because so it is with our physical bodies. It's death first, Hebrews 9, 27, and then transformation in the resurrection. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42. 15, 42. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, this body, is perishable. What's placed into the tomb is perishable. It decays. It goes away. Just to be not morbid, but maybe just really starkly scientific for a moment. When you are placed into the grave, the skin and tissue and organs begin to deteriorate pretty quickly. The bones hang around a little bit longer, but give it about a hundred years, and then all that's left in the tomb is nothing but dust. Nothing but dust. And so he says here in 42, this is the way that it is. What's sown is perishable. What's raised is imperishable. Verse 51 says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And 52 says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, the dead in Christ shall rise, when the trumpet is sounded, the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall all be changed. So there's a spiritual change that must take place. And so let me encourage you right here, right now, ask yourself, evaluate yourself. Have I been made alive? Have my sins been forgiven, been washed in the blood of Jesus the Christ? Have I taken... Have I submitted my life to the life of Christ? And has God made me alive? Or am I a dead man or woman walking? If you've been washed in the blood, raised in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you're alive. And now what you do is you anticipate, you've had that spiritual change, now you anticipate a physical change that the Lord has promised. And so here's the second point. Our bodies matter. Our bodies absolutely matter. It matters what we do with them, how we use them. Our bodies matter, but those bodies will be changed, the Lord promises. Verse 39 of 1 Corinthians 15. Verse Corinthians 15, 39. He says, Not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another kind for animals, another for birds, another for fish. God has given His creatures the appropriate bodies. We have bodies that are appropriate to our nature and appropriate to our environment. Just like fish have bodies that are conducive to life in the water, God has given us bodies that are conducive to our life on earth. This is the way it goes back all the way to the garden. Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
How let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, the earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his image. In his image of God, God created them. Male and female, he created them. Our bodies matter. And he's given us the appropriate body for the appropriate occasion in the appropriate environment. But our bodies also reflect God's glory. Look at chapter 15 at verse 40. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, and stars differ from star and glory. God had a, a clear plan in what he was doing in creation. And so not only does everything have its place and a, a specific nature, but God made all of these things for his glory. And so what that means for you and me, the practical application for you and me is this. We have to be sure that we're using our bodies for his glory even now. Back a few chapters ago in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 18, Paul wrote, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual immorality, the sexually immoral person, sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Now listen to this. You're not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. He said here in 1 Corinthians 15 that all of these different things he had made, from the stars to you and me, he has created for us to glorify him. The time is coming when these earthly bodies will be changed, will be transformed and given heavenly or spiritual or resurrection bodies. But what we're to be doing in the meantime is using these bodies we've been given to give him great glory. Now, here's the most important piece, probably the piece you're wondering the most about. Well, okay, our bodies are to glorify God now and they'll be transformed to glorify him later. So what does that mean? What will they look like? Well, here's the best way we can answer that. Our resurrection bodies will be like Christ's body. Let me say it one more time. Our resurrection bodies will be like Christ's body. Look at verse 49. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, in this whole conversation, he's making reference to the comparison between Adam and Christ. He says, we have been born in the image of the man of dust. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So now we participate in physicality, then we shall participate in resurrection bodies like Christ's. 1 John chapter 3, at verse 2, the Bible says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be, what we will be like, what we'll look like, has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we'll see him as he is. So there's the promise of God, our bodies will be like his body, we'll be like him. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We await for Jesus to, to return from heaven, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So 1 Corinthians 15, 49, 1 John 3, 2. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, again and again and again, Scripture tells us our resurrection bodies will be like Christ's resurrection body. Well, so what's that like? So we've answered that question. What's next? What is Jesus' resurrection body like? Well, here's a few things we can put on the list. Jesus' resurrection body was substantive. And what do I mean by that? It wasn't just like all ghostly, like you could just put your hand through and it's not there, like you see in a movie. 
No, he's, he's substantive. It says that they, they sat with him. Thomas touched him, put his hands in the places where he was scarred. They sat down and they ate with him. They had, they had meals with him. We'll look at a place like Luke 24. Maybe turn in your Bibles there right now. Luke 24, beginning at verse 36. Jesus has conversations with people. You drop down to Luke 24, 50, and he eats um, a meal with them, eats that broiled fish with them there. And so what we see in all of this, that the resurrection body of Jesus is, is substantive. It's, it's not ghostly. It's recognizable. It's personal. Clearly, they, they knew the risen Lord. He was the same guy that they had seen previously before who was put on a cross. They recognized him. He was personal. But here's, here's a really amazing thing about it. This resurrection body is, is imperishable. It's no longer subject to decay. Go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. Start reading with me at, at verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. We don't lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. Some things are here and then they're gone. Other things are eternal. Verse 1 of chapter 5, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For we're still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we'd be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what's mortal may be swallowed up by life. Anxious to put on the resurrection body. And he says, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God. He who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. The resurrection body. Substantive. Recognizable. Personal. But imperishable. Can't. It can't fade away just like the promise that's given can't fade away. Just like the resurrection body of Jesus. So when will these things take place? When is it that at His coming and the end, we know that that's when the Lord Jesus returns. And we're going to read more about that in a moment. So let's read this passage. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. And let's start reading together at verse 50. I want to read several lines here. Let's read the Bible together. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. This is, the, this is talking about the trumpet. We just sang a moment ago. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, this is what will take place at the end. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Not every single person will die, because some will be alive when Jesus returns. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that's written. In other words, then we can finally say with all conviction and finality, death 
is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let's keep reading Scripture. Go to John 5. So I want you to see these things put together, back to back, read in your hearing, back to back to back, so you see what Scripture teaches. John 5, 28. Actually, John 5, 25. John 5, 25. Amen, amen. I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. He's given Him authority to execute judgment because He's the Son of Man. 28. Do not marvel at this. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice. They'll come out. Those who've done good to the resurrection of life and those who've done evil to the resurrection of judgment. One more place. 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. Same thing, just said in a bit of a different way. 1 Thessalonians 4, let's read the Bible beginning at verse 13. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. We don't want you to be ignorant about those who've already died before you do. So that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who've fallen asleep. He'll bring with Him those who died before us. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who've fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we'll always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another. Comfort each other with these words. But this wasn't a new idea. This had been taught for, for centuries, going all the way back to Daniel himself. In Daniel 12, verse 2, it says, Many of those who sleep in the dust, the people who have already been dead and buried, they shall awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. It's going to involve the whole world. Can I just emphasize that for a moment? It's going to involve the whole world, all who have ever, ever existed. Because hear me, there's only one judgment day in the future. Acts 17.31 says that the Lord has fixed a day upon which to judge all men. Not going to be some gathered one day while others will be gathered on another day. Not going to be a time of judgment here and then another time of judgment there. There's one judgment day looming in front of all mankind. And when that takes place, listen, none will miss out. None will be overlooked. None will be missed. None will be hiding somewhere. There's not going to be anybody left behind. Everyone will just be working and living and carrying on. And then surprise, the Lord has come. And so he says in Matthew 24, verse 42, so stay awake because you don't know the day or the hour that he's going to come. No one's going to miss it. Everyone's going to see it. And in fact, he says every single eye, this is Revelation 1, verse 7, when the Lord returns, every single 
eye will see him. Do you hear the, let that weight of that sink in. When the Lord returns, every eye will see him. And in fact, another place it says in Philippians 2, 10 and 11, when the Lord returns, every single knee will bow before him. Every single tongue will confess he's Lord. No one's going to miss it. No one's going to be overlooked. It's going to involve the whole world when this happens. But what comes next for those who belong to him is something beautiful. He calls it victory here at the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. It says that God gives the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The victory is forever in the presence of the Lord. The victory is never, ever dying, but always, always being there in the presence of God, basking in His light, worshiping Him for the perfect, true and living God that He is. That's the victory. Forever welcomed into His presence, never to leave again. The loss is to be rejected from that. To be ushered away from the presence of God where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here's what we know. To look back at 1 Corinthians 15 and to summarize the things that he says here in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Here's our confidence. Here's what we know. Here's what gives us the strength to say, I'm standing here and won't be moved. Here's what we know. Christ is coming back. We don't know when, but we know absolutely that he is coming back. Only one more time is Christ coming back. And at this point in time, when Christ comes back, here's the next thing we know. All of the dead shall be raised. And we know that our bodies, the bodies of both the living and the dead, will be instantly, in the blink of an eye, our bodies will be transformed. The saved will spend eternity with Christ. The lost will spend eternity separated from the Lord in torment. That's what we know. And so he says, because of what we know is coming, he says, take care of your body today. Because it will one day be transformed into an immortal body. And only those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, those who have been born again of water and the Spirit, they are ready, they are longing, they are anxious to hear the trumpet sound. I guess that's the way I'll, I'll leave you this morning is with this. Are you longing to hear the trumpet play? Are you longing to hear those sounds that indicate this is it. Now comes judgment. Now comes the time to forever be in the presence of the Lord. Some don't want to hear it. Some will be hiding. You know, he says in some passages, there will be those who wish that the, the mountains could just fall right on top of them because they're so terrified of seeing the Lord. There's not going to be any kind of way to hide. Nothing that you stand behind, stand under. No rock, no mountain, no umbrella, no kind of anything can you stand behind or stand under to hide you from the Lord. When He comes back, all of the dead shall be raised. Not one will be missed. Every single one will be brought into His presence. Some to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Others to hear to say, I don't know you depart from my presence. Are you ready for this transformation day? Are you ready for this resurrection day? Have you been bought with the blood of Christ and now anticipate hearing the trumpet and being raised to eternal life with Christ. If there's any way that we can encourage you or help you, won't you come, stand before and submit your life to the one who's the first fruits of immortality while we stand and sing.